Romans chapter 8 is our scripture. We'll beginning the reading at verse 18, which is also our text, and continue on through verse 25. That's page 1756 in the Bench Bibles. Romans chapter 8, beginning the reading at verse 15. I mean, sorry, verse 18. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing, and that phrase we'll look at carefully, with the glory that will be revealed in us. The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning in the pains of childbirth right up to the present. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. These, the very words of God. So I said our text is, I consider that our present sufferings, and there are many and we won't elaborate, are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed, that not worth comparing is what we'll focus on and apply. I'd like to introduce the not worth comparing with a reference to the season where between Resurrection Sunday, as I prefer to call it over Easter, which is a word of pagan origin, where between Resurrection Sunday and Ascension, and if we think historically, we're actually after ascension, waiting for the second coming. And one of my big things is that we tend to ignore this time of year, including ascension, sitting, coming again. So for that reason, I'd like you to hear and simply feel, you won't be able to remember this, feel many words I'm going to read and I used to teach this quite strongly to the young people in church school, but just hear these words to sort of prepare yourself for the text. A resurrection, actual and factual, it happened. So that Jesus arose alive because he had accomplished the work of our salvation. And the afterlife is very real, not only for Jesus and us. Resurrection. Ascension. Forty days later, he went away where he is 
at home in heaven where he came from in the first place. So that he's absent from us bodily. Luther and Calvin, had a, a thing, they, they went into that into detail. Absent bodily. And there he activates the Holy Spirit who came on Pentecost in his place. You know what activating is. You get a credit card, you got to call a number to activate it. Jesus activated the Holy Spirit, which we celebrate on Pentecost, ascension. And the ascended Savior sits. I want to now use the word active. He's like our sitting president. If there's anything our current president isn't, it's he just sits there. He's active. And that's what it means when Jesus sits in heaven. He's active. And he has access to the Father. He's in the place of honor in the universe. And because he's in that place of honor and the right hand of God, he has authority. He's co-ruler of the universe. And he assists his church in their ministry. And his authority extends over the kingdom worldwide. He's not passive. And someday he's going to come again. Be aware of it. Sometimes we hardly are aware of it. Await it. Please don't set dates, of course. Harold Camping did that. <laughs> Supposedly, Jesus would come again on May 21, 2013, a date I remember because he was allegedly going to come again on my birthday. Those date setters just make fools of themselves. You know better, so I don't need to elaborate this. Coming again, be aware of it, await it, avoid evil doing, and do good, and also appreciate the fact that the messiness of this world is going to end. It's what you have just been asked to feel that I think we need to celebrate more. Now, I know Ascension Day means a lot to you, so you're not going to get an Ascension Day sermon, but I've had the privilege, without much to do in churches lately, of going through Romans and... I was so thrilled at Romans 8.18 that I made this message. And then after 8 verse 18, the apostle gets in the subject of hope. And in my 40 years of ordained ministry, I thought I never did well on hope. And was thrilled about that. And that's what we'll look at this evening, the Lord willing. But here from Romans 8.18. 8, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that shall be revealed. Not worth comparing means contrast, big contrast, huge contrast. Our earthly sufferings seem so severe to us sometimes, but in heaven we'll sense those sufferings, even the severe ones, as small contrasted to heaven's glories. In heaven we may think, I remember how I suffered on earth. Now I know glory 
and my earthly sufferings have become small stuff compared to heavenly glory and joy. That's the meaning of the word there, not worth comparing. With the glory, the Bible word glory in the Old Testament means primarily weightiness or worthiness. And in the New Testament takes on the added dimension of bright, brilliant, shining. So you get with that word glory two things put together. Worthiness, brilliance. That's what heaven will be like. And it will be revealed in us, God's people, when we get there. Now that much having been said about interpretation of Romans 8, 18, what I would like to do is go on and make the point that not worth comparing is in songs because we have so many wonderful hymns and songs about heaven. And then note with you four of the glories of heaven, very practical things. Let me begin with this. Not worth comparing, that is contrasted with the glories to come, was expressed, I think, so beautifully by Esther Kerr Rustoy in the following hymn. Sometimes the day seems long, our trials hard to bear. We're tempted to complain, to murmur, and despair. But Christ will soon appear to catch his bride away. I'd like to give that theological definition in a different context. I don't think she's thinking quite right there, but that's not our point today. All tears forever over in God's eternal day. It will be worth it all when we see Jesus. Life's trials will seem so small when we see Christ. One glimpse of his dear face all sorrows will embrace. So bravely run the race till we see Christ. That's not worth comparing, said by a songwriter <laughs> better than I could otherwise define it. Now, let's talk about some of those glories that will come our way. I'll have to be very careful today to give you a Bible proof for those glories because I haven't been to heaven and you'll have questions I can't answer. But we're going to proceed anyway. What are some of those heavenly glories that await us that will make our present sorrows small things in contrast to those. Well, the first of those heavenly glories that I would mention is that there will be people in heaven. Now that may seem obvious, but let's start there we'll have our loved ones who are in Christ in heaven. One of the precious memories my wife and I have of a family member who died relatively young is his statement in which he saw loved ones gone on before 
who were in heaven, and he was told, you'll be next. Oh, I should prove, by the way, uh, from the Bible anything I say today very carefully. Let's, let's backtrack just a minute. Uh, what would be the proof that we will see loved ones in heaven and know people there? answer that I would give is uh, Jesus' transfiguration. Remember that? Moses and Elijah, they knew each other, and uh, they knew Jesus, and Jesus knew them. It's impossible for me to even imagine we'll be total strangers in heaven. So maybe this is so obvious I hardly had to say it. I don't know. But our family, our loved ones will be in heaven. Also our family and friends who are in Christ will be there. And, of course, that arises one of those questions. What if I love someone who's not there because they were an unbeliever? To that I would answer something like, It's not God's fault. It's their own fault, sad as it is. And I believe that God, who is the God of all grace, will give you everything you need to accept the fact that someone you wish is there, maybe, at least earthly speaking, isn't there. And I'll have to leave it at that because I don't know any more than that. But at any rate, our family and friends who are in Christ will be there and many, many others too. The book of Revelation speaks of thousands upon thousands in one place. And our hymn, Jerusalem, the golden, uh, or uh, see, myriads in number called from every nation. But there's a very important question we should ask before we move on to the next point in this sermon. And that's the question, will you be there? And will I be there? That's almost the place to start before even thinking of family, friends, and loved ones, isn't it? The Bible says today is the day of salvation. Now is the acceptable time. Corinthians 6 verse 2. And the Bible says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Lord means ruler of your life, boss. Jesus means savior. Christ means, well, ability to save. Christ really means anointed one in the first sense with the uh, credentials and ability to save. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. The Philippian jailer has told you and your household. So that's the place to start. Heaven will be us who are believers, and it's very important, of course, to start there. Loved ones gone on before, family, friends, and many, many others. Now that's the only point I want to make here with this first glory of heaven. The second glory of heaven that I'll call our attention to is the place, the place heaven will be incomparably more glorious than this place on earth no matter how beautiful we have it here. Our communities, our houses, our jobs, our fortunes, our opportunities, our privileges, our family. The place heaven will be 
incomparably better. Revelation 21, verses 1 and 2, puts it this way. Then I saw a new heaven. And there are two words for new in the Greek language. The one used in Revelation 21 means renewed. Not totally new, but renewed. I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the Holy One, the new Jerusalem, or the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among his people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. Place of renewal. Peter, in 2 Peter, uses slightly different language. He calls heaven a place, a purified place. Heaven will be purified of many things including sin that we'll get to shortly. Jesus spoke of the place heaven as a place where we'll have a home. John 14, 1 through 3. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. A renewed world, a purified place, a place where we'll have a home. Now, I don't know what that home is going to be like, but we believe what Jesus said and we'll have the joy of finding out. And the Bible says more about the place, you know. Philippians 3.20 tells us that we'll be citizens of heaven. Our citizenship is in heaven, it says, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transfer our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. You know, when you're my age, you reflect back on your youth more, I think. And when I was young, we used to sing a song in an old Psalter hymnal. Maybe some of you my age remember it. That Psalter hymnal gave way to later ones, but that song, I am a stranger here within a foreign land. My home is far away upon a golden strand. Ambassador to be of realms beyond the sea. I'm here on business for my king. Love that song when I was a child. A renewed place, a purified world, a home, citizenship, and we can add to it too. Employment, work, hobbies, pastimes, pleasure. The proof is Matthew 25, the parable of the talents. When they got to heaven, the men with the talents who used them didn't twiddle their thumbs forever. 
their talents, which are opportunities, by the way, not so much abilities, but opportunities were added to in heaven. So don't think you'll be bored up there. There will be plenty to do. And I have to, of course, leave it at that. One of my favorite lessons with the young people always came in the spring when the catechism books got around to heaven. Their questions, their curiosity, just always an amazing class. And we adults may not be quite like children, but we have the same questions, and the only answers that we have are from the scriptures. It'll just be so much different and so much more wonderful. So that's the place. And then there's a third thing that is incomparably better when it comes to heaven. And this is in some ways even more wonderful than the first two, the people and the place. It's the perfections that'll be there. Here are some of them. Sinlessness. No more sin. And not only sinlessness in something of an abstract way, but all of the bad effects of sin also forever done. Sinlessness means no more condemnation, which is what Romans 8 starts with and then goes into 10 benefits of the Holy Spirit. We're at benefit number 8 here, by the way. Um, heaven, but no more condemnation, no more sadness, suffering, tears of sorrow, Revelation 21, 3 to 4, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He'll wipe away every tear from their eyes. There'll be death no more. No more mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. Now, I don't know if spiritual bodies have tear ducts. I tend to think not. But the tears from their eyes refer to tears of sorrow. I saw in one of you this morning tears of joy. Maybe there will be tears of joy, but not tears due to sin, suffering, and sorrow. No more dying there, see? A second perfection of heaven will be joy. C.S. Lewis spoke of it and used a book title, Joy Unspeakable and Full of Glory. Beautifully said by someone who is an expert in the English language. One of the things, if I may share another point of privilege, I remember from the first few years of my life, when I was learning language, actually, my mother would be at the ironing board, ironing with an electric cord and her iron. A lot more ironing in those days. And I remember hearing her sing the old Fanny Crosby hymn. Um, someday the silver cord will break. Remember clearly learning language at the time, and I thought the silver cord was a silver iron cord. Learned later it wasn't. 
Someday the silver cord will break, and I no more as now shall sing. I'm guessing that's a half-truth, isn't it? I, I think we'll sing in heaven, but maybe not like we sing on earth. But anyway, someday the silver cord will break, and I no more as now shall sing. But oh, the joy when I shall wake within the palace of the king. Fanny Crosby said it so well. The perfections of heaven. And we could go on. Another one is comfort, right? Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 1. What is your only comfort in life and in death? That I am not my own, but belong to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. And I'm sure you all sense that we could elaborate more of the perfections of heaven but I think it's time to go on to the fourth point that we're going to mention that in some ways is the most important thing of all to contrast our present sufferings with our future glory and I'll label that the praise we give to God now, of course, some people think, are we going to go to church forever and ever in heaven? I'd like to sort of answer that question indirectly. Thursday evening was prayer day. We decided to go to prayer day worship. Prayer is important. So we went to a church for prayer day worship and I've got this new job. Nobody's asking me to be an interim, so I'm driving tuxedos around, and I just had my third straight 10-hour day. I know what you working people go through with long days of work sometimes. And I've got this new medicine for prostate cancer. Many of you know I have that, and I don't always feel good. And the, I didn't that night at all. And the prayer day worship service was an hour and 45 minutes long with all kinds of people praying. And I sure felt a lot of tension. Now, I may be wrong in this. I'm not always right. I don't know everything, and I make plenty of mistakes. I know I should have been there worshiping God and everything. But I was looking, too, at these children there, school night, and church seats aren't built for them. And I thought to myself... I think a prayer day worship service should not be like the Puritans did it. They had two-hour worship services, but we're used to an hour. And I sure would have appreciated if this were one hour. And then I thought of the sermon today. Sermon is on your mind all week long, of course. And I thought, some of you are going to say, be sure to check your watch, huh? We don't want an hour 45 minutes around here. Um, but, you know, I thought to myself, some people think of heaven as a worship service forever and ever. Not so. Let me add a couple of thoughts from the Jews that I think will help here. Number one is this. The Jewish view of blessedness, word used a lot in the Bible and hard to understand and almost becomes... An empty word today. We say, bless you, bless that, bless this food, bless this, the next thing, the next thing, etc. And, and, and 
to the Jew, the word blessedness was a blessed word, not an overused word. Blessedness to them was, first of all, God in heaven. God cursed them, the opposite of blessing, when Eden had sin in it. But God was still in his heaven, the blessed place. And then in Jewish thinking, well, God takes people to be with him in heaven. So they are blessed, though dead ones who've left us and gone to heaven. They're with blessed God in a blessed place. And then the next uh, part of Hebrew thinking was, well, if they have in heaven with God perfect blessedness, we who believe in God have partial blessedness here below, right? And when we die, we who now have partial blessedness will have perfect blessedness, the bliss of being with God. That's what blessedness meant to the Hebrews, precious concept. And then, in Hebrew thinking, if blessedness is being with God, the highest blessing of all blessedness is being with God and beholding him. And John, 1 John 3, verse 3 says, and we shall see him as he is. And when you see him as he is, it will be only natural to praise and worship him. Won't it? Now, the book of Revelation is especially full of praise, and it's not boring. You're not going to praise and worship all the time, but you're going to praise and worship God and like doing it. And in connection with praising God forever, questions arise again. I'll tell you one I've pondered on and can't answer. Is heaven time for all eternity or timelessness? We have hymns that mention both. One of our most precious hymns, Amazing Grace, has in it, when we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun. Oh, that's a long time. What about 10 billion, billion, trillion? And then another hymn, a hymn many people think of lesser quality, but it says it differently. Count your blessings. Name them one by one. When the trumpet of the Lord shall sound, it begins. And time shall be no more. I have no answer for you if heaven is timeless or eternal time. Take someone smarter than me. I guess we'll find out when we get there. And you can ask other questions. The kids do. And the only answers I have are in Scripture. But what I am saying to you from the text this morning is that the words in Romans 8.18 present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us mean just that. And things up there that specify 
that are not worth comparing are those we've looked at. People, place, perfections. And the praise we'll have for God when we see him face to face. Now, when I was done working on Romans 8, 18, I knew that for the first time in 40 years, I understood biblical hope, and that's what we'll come to this evening. But I would like to close this morning by quoting the kind of praise that will come naturally to us when we see God in the best way I know how to do it. And again, it's by a hymn writer, Handel, who in the Messiah has the hallelujah chorus. And when the Messiah came to its hallelujah chorus, people stood up in thrill and joy for that just most amazing thing. And that's the kind of praise there will be in heaven. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. For the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. The kingdoms of this world has become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. And he shall reign forever and ever. Forever and ever, ever and ever. King of kings and Lord of lords. King of kings and Lord of lords. And Lord of lords, he shall reign and he shall reign forever and ever. King of kings, forever and ever. And Lord of lords, hallelujah, hallelujah. Present sufferings, incomparable in contrast to heavenly glory. Let's pray. Our God in heaven, thank you for these incredible texts in Romans, and in this case, Romans 8, 18. We will live with our present sufferings. We actually don't have a choice. We know that you're with us and all that in our sufferings, and you persevere and help. We'll live with them knowing that Someday, our present sufferings will be small stuff compared to the big, amazing wonders of heaven. Amen.